Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Cody Bach, who I got to say, he's one of the OG original leadership development people that I talked to back at the start of my consulting career. He's a former client. He's also just an amazing, incredible person who really has a handle on leadership development and management. I'm proud to say that he is a friend of mine. He's an awesome guy. I think you're going to love this episode. Stay tuned. Here comes some really good advice. Hey, here we are on another episode of the Good Advice Podcast, sitting down with an actual good friend of mine. I say actual because, you know, everyone's a friend of me, but Cody and I go way back. Cody is an incredible leadership expert. This is a guy who legitimately deeply cares about the development of people. He believes in unleashing the potential of people, and these aren't fluff words. Cody is someone who actually has done this for his own team. He's doing this every day, and he really believes in real practical steps to develop people, grow people, and make them more incredible people for their businesses. Cody, thank you for being here today. Uh, Blake, thanks for being here. You're uh, very kind and generous in in your words for me. I appreciate that, man. (laughs) Well, I try to to always be exciting and encouraging, and I I don't have anyone on the show who's like, you know... uh, homeless or anything, you know, so I try to always represent who, who someone is and what they're actually doing. Uh, so I'm, I really am excited to have you on the show. Same man. It is good to reconnect with you and and catch in. I know you're, uh, on a big precipice here about to jump into parenthood. How are you and Miss Joy doing? Oh my gosh, man. It's so wild how like mentally how things shift. I was just talking to someone about this the other day because we were, you know, like the old adage of like, you never, there's never the perfect time. You're never fully ready, all that stuff. Well, like, so for Joy and I, we really, we really felt like now was the right time. Like we've, we've been together for about seven years, uh, tried to get pregnant for about a year uh, and it finally happened. And so up till about a month ago, we were just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe it. I would say the last few weeks we've been, the best way to describe it would be we're kind of freaking out. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. <laughs> we're going to have to like take care of this thing. And like, you know, can we still watch We watched a movie on Netflix. And I was like, is this the last time we're going to watch Netflix? <laughs> she just laughed. And um, so the real, I would say the reality is definitely fully hitting right now. And uh, I'm sure it'll even out a bit uh, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, super excited for y'all, uh, you know, talking about feeling inadequate. That's exactly how it was for my wife and I, you know, <laughs> three years ago and I was just like, they give you this baby and they're like, they, you just have to figure it out. And there's, uh, it's just a, you know, and every baby's so different and then everybody's giving their advice of, well, you should do this. This is what works. And, uh, I'm sure that the two of y'all will figure out exactly what works for uh, yours and, and be awesome parents. Man, it's amazing. Like the the range of advice we get because we have we have some people who are like 
they're obviously very uh, organized and diligent. They're like, well, you have to do this and you need to do this and make sure that you, you know, put into bed at this time and yada, yada. And then we have other people who are like, eh, it's fine. You're going to drop it. It's going to be okay. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm trying to find like, okay, where's the middle sweet spot? Yeah. So you'll find your way. That's for sure. Definitely yeah. will. Well, man, I, I want to dive in on you and I, man, I've, I have admired you for a long time for the listeners. Cody and I worked together probably three or four years ago and just like instantly upon meeting Cody, I was like, this guy gets it. Cody, I think we were like immediately like swapping like our favorite leadership books. Like, Ooh, I like this oh, yeah. one. What do you think about this one? Man, you have been such a, just such an, an experienced force in the leadership space for quite a while Man, how did that come about? Have you just always been excited around the topic? I mean, what walk me through a little bit of the origination there? Yeah, great question. When I when I really can trace it back, uh, I think it really goes back to like my first real tangible experience of like figuring out this leadership thing uh, was through an organization called FFA. Uh, used to be known as Future Farmers of America. It's now the National FFA organization, and uh, I joined it as a freshman in high school. Because when I was an eighth grader, we had to pick electives and some kids came in and they're like, we, you get to weld, we get to build prom decorations. And I was like, man, let's let the sparks fly. Let's get a hold of some saws. Like I'm in for that. And, uh, you know, thought it was going to be this hands-on experience and it was, but a big part of that was also FFA, which is an organization that's really just designed around growing leaders and, uh, got involved with it and, uh, found kind of a, a ability to public speak and lots of people that coached me in that and found out that you could serve in different positions of leadership at the chapter level. And then uh, even on up and, you know, I remember running for a regional office, which is like a group of for us in Kentucky counties, uh, all the counties come together and, you know, we were in a region and uh, I found out I could be an officer at the regional level. I'm like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to run for office. And, uh, went and ran for office and uh, got elected to regional president. And I think for me, it was like, oh my gosh, like not only can I be a leader here in my local community, but you know, other people outside of that are seeing that. And really from there, just pursued more officer opportunities through that, went to the state level, the national level. And uh, just through that experience of being in that organization, it really just showed me how awesome leadership is, the power that there is uh, in being a leader and empowering other people to be leaders, it just became so real to me. And uh, of course, dedicated a portion of my career. That's how you and I met. We were uh, working with some FFA things and uh, just, yeah, that's, that's really where I would say I got started. That's the beginning of it for me. So, so what was like the, like the driving force here? Because it sounds like obviously a portion of you really liked FFA, like it clicked for you. But I mean, there's a lot of people out there who they're always you know, excited to like, so they, they sort of discover the next step and like the next level to try to reach for and achieve. And there's nothing wrong with achieving things, but I will say, and you know this really well, that everyone's motive is different in terms of mm -hmm. why do I want that next thing? So wh what was it for you even at a young age to, I guess, be hungry and have this appetite for, Ooh, I want to do that, or I'm going to try that. And I'm going to go for that. I mean, wh what was the driving force there? I think one was encouragement. I just had great people around me encouraging me. So teachers was one, but my parents too of just, you know, encouraging, hey, you're good at this. You should continue on this. I think that was a big driver. And then really, especially at the state level, feeling like 
I had an impact and, and getting to see that impact. And, you know, it's something as simple as a conversation underneath an oak tree at our FFA camp with a student during our summer camp. You know, it would be a, a 30 minute conversation. And later on down the road, I'd get a letter from that person saying, hey, you don't know how much that meant to me. And I think through that, just learning, man, there is there is power in this human connection and just being able to uh, speak life into someone and encourage someone and I think I saw through that that people are just yearning for others to take a genuine interest in them. And, you know, that's what leaders do. They they care about people. Uh, I think leadership, another word for it, is just selflessness. And when you can give yourself to others and see that they feed off of that and they want to go do the same thing, uh, I think being encouraged to do that and then being able to see those tangible results is really what caused me to, you know, I felt like I had been really just blessed to have the gifts to be able to connect with people in that way. And, you know, it felt a little bit like a responsibility of, you know, I, I could take a step back and look in the organization, the people that poured into me and invested in me and wanted me to be better. And it just felt a little bit selfish to say, okay, like I'm just going to use that to, to grow my professional career, whatever it might be. And it felt like, you know, this organization has given me so much. I need to do my best to step up and be willing to serve it as a, as an officer and, and give back to it in some way. And that, that sounds really cheesy and cliche and I get that, but that truly was, I mean, you know, it's, it's that old cliche to who much is given much is expected. And uh, I think I just felt that responsibility through the encouragement and, and being able to see the results of it. Well, you know, there's something really sweet about, you, know, you talk about getting that letter or I think what's really funny to me is when like, and I'm sure you've experienced this when someone says something like, hey, you said this to me and it totally changed my perspective, changed my life, whatever. But then you don't even remember saying it. <laughs> it's like it, yeah. you know, some random, yeah. we always think it's like these really big moments that leave an impression on people. But sometimes it's like these really sweet, almost seemingly inconsequential interactions that can make a difference for someone. And it's interesting what you're talking about because I feel like a lot of times when we think about influence and impact, we th- when we say that word, we envision like being on stage in front of like tons of people or leading mm-hmm. a huge team or, you know, more kind of obnoxiously influencer culture, you know, do you influence people? Well, I'm not an influencer, you know, well, I don't have thousands of followers and it almost feels like we've kind of lost our perspective a bit on, you know, really just that one person that you're talking about, like that person we can engage with every single day. It's hard. I think sometimes for people to, to keep that top of mind. Absolutely. You, you know, you, you talk about that influencers and all this stuff. And yeah, that that's great. If you want to be a quote unquote influencer, I'm doing, you can't see me because I'm on the phone. I got my fingers up doing air quotes, you know, but the <laughs> influencer, man, everybody's an influencer. It's just a matter to, to what degree and what influence you're going to have. I mean, you, you influence somebody and it doesn't even have to be anybody, you know, I mean, this is this is so random, but it's what popped in my head. I was in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska a few months ago for a, a work trip, and I went through the drive through at Chick-fil-A. I was having a good morning. I'd gotten the workout in. I was flying home to see my girls again. It was just a good morning. And, you know, I got through the drive through at Chick-fil-A, which they're phenomenal at customer service anyway. But, you know, some lady popped on there and said, how can I help you this morning? And I'd caught her name when she said that. I was like, hey, Miss Alicia or whatever her name was. I was like, I'd like a spicy chicken biscuit with a sweet tea. Um, you know, how are you doing this morning? And she said, good. And I got around and, um, there was a guy there and he's like, Hey man, this one's on us. He's like, we could just feel your energy through. Like you just, you know, (laughs) asked us how we were doing. And like, 
you know, I, I don't, I'll never see those people again. I don't even know their names. Um, but you know, in some small way, I had a tiny bit of influence on them and hopefully started their day off on the right track. They definitely started my day off on, I mean, a free chicken biscuit. Come on. So, <laughs> and a sweet tea. you know, even people you, yeah. And a sweet tea, even people you don't know, like how you smile at them, how you treat them, that is influence. And it doesn't matter if you've got zero followers, you're not even on social media or you've got the most followers. I don't even know who's got the most followers now, but man, your daily actions definitely leave an impact and, and a ripple on people. And, um, it, it truly matters. And, uh, if you don't think it does, then you're just kidding yourself. Mm. And I love your definition of leadership. You call it self selflessness. It feels like, man, especially in this influence game, it feels like almost a lot of leaders sort of take this parental mentality where it's, it's not, it's not quite, how do I influence this person and promote this person? But I've seen a lot of leaders, they take an approach of now that I'm the boss, my job is to mm. really just manage. And so I was actually just talking yeah. to a guy who was talking about his Monday meeting and he said, it's real exhausting because he has to tell everyone he's got a team of six people. And in the span of an hour, he just can't get out enough of the information he needs to, to tell everyone what they need to be doing that week. <laughs> Which I was like, yeah. why, why do you need to tell them what they need to do? And he's like, well, I mean, that's my job. And I was like, well, why is it, why would it be your job? I mean, didn't you, didn't you hire yeah. these people because they would do what they needed? I mean, why do you need to be telling people? But I've noticed that's kind of a trend sometimes. It's, oh, I'm the leader, I'm the manager, I'm the boss. And so now it's not necessarily selflessness. It's like, I'm the, I give direction. I tell people what to do. And I, I don't know how sustainable that is. And also it feels like it, it's lacking an opportunity there for some real impact. Yeah, I totally agree with, with the things you're saying there. And it is, it's, it's sad because you see it, the people that rise up through the ranks and it's just this, okay, now I'm in charge. And I think there's a little bit of fear in it of, okay, now everything that all my people do are a reflection of me. So I better make sure that I keep control of this and, and keep on this because I don't want it to look bad on me. And rather than, Hey, you people like, I've hired you. So clearly I think you know what you're doing. How can I serve you in getting done what you need to get done? Or what do you think is most important? And I just think of the people that have had the greatest impact on me as leaders. And they generally are the selfless people, the ones that said, Hey, how can I help you get to where you want to go? And um, I just think that, you know, the more I'm around great leaders, the more it's this selflessness. And uh, you and I both have had the chance to talk a little bit about Donnie Smith, the former CEO at Tyson and his ideas around, servant leadership. And, um, I just think it's, it's critical. Like if you want to lead people, you've got to be willing to serve them and get them there. Now that doesn't mean that sometimes you don't create the vision and the strategy. That's, that's true. Getting them involved is important in that. But at the end of the day, I will take the leader who is selfless and serves those that he or she leads over the selfish person that's going to do what's in their best interest bar none. And, you know, something you're talking about here kind of sparks an idea or thoughts around, you know, some of this servant leadership. And you and I, I think, emailed a little bit about this, of just this idea of having a humble confidence about you. And I think, you know, those leaders that are so fearful of what's going to happen to them, it's because they don't have that confidence and um, they're, they're afraid of that failure. And I, I think people that can have that humble confidence are really those people that have a great sense of who they are. And they know they're not any more valuable than their teammates and their teammates aren't any more valuable than them. And because we're all equals, doesn't matter who gets the credit. Let's, let's be the rising tide that lifts all ships and encourage one another. And, 
you succeeding doesn't take away from me succeeding and it's not the zero sum game. And I think those people that have just a really great self-awareness of who they are and where that comes from are the ones that are more willing to serve because it doesn't take away from them. Now, what do you think about like leaders, for example, who maybe they don't even realize that they're, maybe they'd even call themselves a selfless leader, but the results aren't really happening on the team. The team isn't very happy working under that person. What, what's the key for someone who's maybe even listening to this episode who they're wondering, am I that, that selfless person? Am I walking on in humble confidence? Like how, how does someone figure out and get clarity on really the kind of leader that they are so that they know how they need to change? Baller question. You know, it's first this idea of me or that I've seen you talk about recently on LinkedIn of this customers, 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 and how if a business is going to succeed, it's got to be customer focused. And that really comes back to that service, right? And selflessness, how can you serve customers? If you're a leader, your customers are your people. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same as a business and customers as pe- a leader and their people. You got to be open to feedback and, and truly open to that feedback of, hey, you know what? I, I want to find out if I'm a selfless leader, I'm going to ask my people. And, um, you know, if I need to do that in a way that's completely anonymous for them, um, that way they don't know that I know who said what, but just being able to have some real open, candid feedback is, is something that really allows you, I think, to figure out, okay, this is, this is what people are saying. This is their evaluation, their, of their experience with me. And again, you know, I think you got to, look through that lens of feedback. Okay, where's this coming from? And um, it may not be a 100% correct perspective, but it's at least a perspective. And uh, I've heard you talk about these 360 reports. And can I get at least a view of what someone is is uh, experiencing when they're on the other side of me so that I know uh, how they would describe me, what they would say about me? I think if you're going to be a, a leader that wants to get better, you've got to be open to feedback and truly open to it, not just, okay, you know, there's this a lot of times this fake idea of I want your guys feedback, like give it to me and then they get it. And then it's like, Oh, that was great. But there's no change or there's no actions taken. And that's just, uh, that's all smoke and mirrors at that point. But I think if you really want to figure it out, ask your people, you know, what's it like to be uh, in the seat opposite of me and take their feedback and listen to it and really be willing to learn. And the beautiful thing about that. Um, and I've got this, lots of theories around leadership and stuff. And we're getting into some of these, but it's that idea of the beautiful thing about that. If you sit down as a leader and you say, I want your open feedback, I want to discuss it. I want to use it to get better. What is the message you're sending to your people about the value you place on feedback and exactly how you do that? You're becoming an example of how you want people to seek feedback and then how to implement it and how to use it. Uh, So it's all this opportunity to be an example as well for your people. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like maybe it's ego, maybe it's like insecurity. I don't know quite what it is, but it feels like there's a trend in management where everyone, everyone is encouraged to seek out feedback, except the person at the top, you know, the person who's actually, mm-hmm. who's actually like organizing it. Like I remember a couple of things I remember thinking about is uh, I had a business one time who they were looking to do some 360s for their people and it was going to be really expensive. And I said two things. I said, okay, well, you can just skip on this whole process entirely and you can just flat out ask them. And uh, I remember her saying, well, they would never tell me what they really think, which is indicative, mm. right? 
But the second thing, yeah. as I said, instead of doing a 360 on everybody else, you could just get a 360 done on you. You know, just have people just evaluate you. And yeah. she was like, ooh, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, uh, okay, well, that's pretty telling. In fact, I remember even uh, working, for, working for an organization where everyone had to do these really candid reviews for each other. And the boss was the only one who removed themselves from this whole oh. conversation. And like, ironically, that's the person who you would think needs to be the central force of this conversation, but it doesn't, it doesn't always happen, I guess. Unfortunately not. And I think it comes back to this idea of homo confidence, right? I'm so, uh, I lack so much confidence in who I am that people's words can tear me down. And I'm not saying that words don't hurt. And sometimes you hear things that you don't like to hear. That's totally true. But I mean, that pain is the only way that, I mean, it is part of getting better. Okay. You know, if I don't have the opportunity to allow people to tell me what I'm not good at, I'm never going to get better. And it's dialing up our confidence to say, you know what, like I'm enough as a person, but the humility side of me says, but I can be better. And the only way I get better is, is getting that feedback. And, um, that, that feedback, man, is, is key to being able to, to continuously get better. And, um, it's again, it also goes back to, I have kind of this idea of these E's that make a really good leader. And, and two of those E's are the expectations and the example. And if the expectation is we're going to give feedback, then you've got to be the example of let's do it. Like, let's tear this bandaid off and, and let's get real candid. I was listening to uh, something by Adam Grant recently, and he was talking, I think it was Bain Capital up in Massachusetts, but man, their company is like 100% like candid feedback at every level. And uh, they told this story of the CEO that got an email from somebody on down the chain. I don't know where it was, but it basically was like, hey, today in the meeting, it was very clear that you were not prepared. You rambled. Uh, you could have been much more succinct. This can't happen again. Um, and that was the email from the person down on the bottom to the CEO. And the CEO was just like, cool. Like he ran it by some other people. And they're like, yeah, it did seem like you rambled. And he was like, okay, like clearly this is something I got to work on. And he took that in stride and, and ran with it. And when you think about an example like that, what's that going to make you want to do when you get feedback of, okay, you've given us now the example of, of what that looks like. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, really what we're talking about is you, you have to be willing to put your ego aside. And that's... Absolutely. I mean, that's, some, that's one of the most toxic elements of bad leadership that I've seen is people who are so obsessive over their ego. And I think you've heard Donnie's story of like, uh, and I don't know if it's a recent story of his or if he's told it long term, but he likes to talk about whenever he took over Tyson. And, you know, for our listeners, Tyson grew from like 8 billion in valuation to like 80 billion in valuation yeah. with him as a CEO. So there's, this isn't like fluff stuff. We're talking like actual revenue, money, oh, yeah. you know, making it successful. But Donnie talked about um, one of his biggest issues was getting rid of boat people. And those were like the mm -hmm. vice presidents and SVPs who, once they had gotten their position and gone out and bought a boat, and now part of their ego was, I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to take feedback. I'm not willing to look weak. I'm not willing to set that ego aside because I don't want someone to threaten my boat status. You know, where maybe I wouldn't be able to afford the boat or have to get, get rid of the boat. And so he was like, I was just so aggressive in dealing with boat people. Um, and I always love that story because that's, I mean, th those are the people who will keep your business from growing. Absolutely. And part of these ideas around home confidence come from some of the stuff that, that Donnie has talked about. I've been fortunate to have been in the room with him a few times. And um, 
you can find it online too. He's got uh, a talk that's kind of around his idea and his his model of servant leadership and the idea of getting rid of the pyramid or the corporate ladder and replacing it with a peach tree and this kind of idea of, you know, as a peach tree, the CEO or the top leaders, they're not the peach. They're not the star of the show. They're the roots that, Hey, I've got to get the things that this tree needs and my people need and, and provide resources and get stability. Uh, and like that servant of, you know, and then, and then we're going to be the trunk and, you know, and then the stars of our show are, are our people. They're the ones that get the stuff done. And, uh, we exist to serve them. And a lot of my leadership philosophy kind of builds off some of the things that I've heard him talk about. And, but it's all spot on. And it's, you know, that, that ego is, is so killer. I think the other two I would add to that are this idea of entitlement and envy. Uh, we get kind of start going up and we start to look at what other people have and we're in envious of it of, oh man, I, I want that boat. I want that X, Y, Z. Uh, and if we move on up, then all of a sudden we start to feel like, okay, I'm entitled to these things. And, um, and that ego, entitlement, and envy, those three easily get in your way every single time. Well, man, it's amazing how, you know, and sometimes when we think about these words, we think of like the worst possible human and we're like, well, I'm not that person, but it's amazing, like unchecked how these things can really affect our leadership perspective. Like I remember moving back to Northwest Arkansas and my wife and I joined a new church and, you know, I had worked at this school. I've been this awesome leader at a school, man. I had, I had been really involved in my church in Houston. And I remember at this new church in Northwest Arkansas, they were like, Hey, we need someone who can set up chairs and like set up stuff in the morning, like on Sunday morning. And I remember thinking, and I don't think I thought this verbatim, but this is basically what I was thinking was, I'm too good for that. You know, I've already done, I did that five years ago. Like I've, I've graduated from, from doing something like that. And I remember feeling so guilty and thinking, okay, that's okay. Obviously I need to do this because, you know, somehow I've become very entitled in a meaningless way, but it's amazing. I see leaders do the same thing. You know, you don't have to be an awful like megalomaniac sociopath to fall into these traps. I do think it takes a lot of reflection to make sure you're staying um, in line, so to speak, that you're not diverting from like your direction and your mission and your purpose. And I get, I think it also, again, it goes back to that, what you're saying about feedback is sometimes we, we have these blind spots where we're coming across a certain way and we don't even realize, oh, I am acting out of envy or I am acting out of entitlement mm-hmm. until someone who respects us is kind enough to say, hey, your, um, your, your ego is really showing here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that accountability is, is critical. And I agree with you. I, I can see it in myself. I'm thinking back to examples of, uh, I heard a, a pastor recently put it, he's like, a lot of times the, the blessing then becomes a burden, so to speak, of, you know, the thing we think we want so bad and the thing we want. And at first we we're you know, we get that. Thing. Let's say we get that thing and we're just so excited and we're so thankful. Thank you for this opportunity. This is great. There's no entitlement. We're just, oh, you know, I'm just so happy to be doing it. And then as time creeps on, it's like, yeah, but I've been doing X, Y, Z in this role. And now I kind of deserve this. We start to forget how excited we were about that thing in the beginning. And it becomes this burdensome thing. And we start to see other things that, oh, we like, or, okay, now I'm entitled to this because I've been in this position long enough, or I don't have to put chairs up now because I served in my other church and I worked my way up to, you know, whatever. We start to just forget that the thing we really wanted and we're initially excited about, oftentimes it then leads us to, to then being a bit expectant. And, you know, for me, I think about some of those officer positions that I was in, I wanted them so badly. Like I wanted to to have the opportunity to serve and they were great opportunities. Got to travel the state, got to travel the country, all those types of things. And, you know, early on in those officer positions, I was so pumped and just, 
you know, hey, you know, fly me, you know, on coach, whatever. I just want to go and serve. And by the end of the year, you know, you're saying, okay, I've almost got status. I don't want to have to sit in the back of the plane. It's just like, okay, why? Well, you think you're too good to sit in the back of the plane now that you've got some experience and none of those things are bad inherently just somewhat examples of, you know, the thing we want is great, but oftentimes mm-hmm. if we don't reflect, as you said, and get that feedback, we can start to to let it become something that makes us feel entitled because we've done it. Well, and you know, what's wild about this and, and man, I always try to help people understand that this isn't like, we're not talking fluff here. We're not talking about like, oh, this is feel good <laughs> leadership. We're talking about like what, what's very practical. Right. And so like, I even remember there was one time at an, a previous company, we were doing some work with a customer and we were handing out some copies for the people in the room and we didn't have enough. And so I turned to the person who's working for me and I said, Hey, go get me five more copies of this. Well, it took like 35 minutes. I was like, what is going on? And so we got a break and I went and I was like, where, where are the copies? And the person was like, well, I, I, I handed it off to this person and that person didn't, didn't, um, you know, they kind of put it in the back of their mind. They tried to hand it off to someone else and I was like, well, why didn't, why didn't you just make them? And this person was like, well, I don't really, that's not really what I do anymore. Like I kind of do this now. Mm. And I remember mm. thinking like, this is so silly. Like just from like a, a customer speed, you know, experience perspective, how again, even like the slightest, you know, in the slightest way we can give into our ego and be entitled to the point where now the customer and even like even talking about like a really extreme example, I've heard I've heard business owners say things like, "Well, if they don't like it, if the customer doesn't like it, they can go somewhere else because they feel challenged in their ego." And I'm like, "Well, mm. they they will go somewhere else." <laughs> That's right. That's yeah, what's going to happen. But it's amazing how that can actually play out and how how much slower it makes your business. It does, and I think the other piece of that too, Blake, is then it impacts your culture then we become this culture. If we allow that to, to continue to be around of, Oh, you're right. You probably don't deserve to do that anymore. Now we're setting the stage for that to be something that, that creeps in of, well, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't have to do that anymore. And, and um, if we let that exist, we're sending a message that it's okay. And then it starts to bleed, bleed into our culture and, and be an impact. And you know, the story that hits my mind is a popular one of the Chick-fil-A, you know, when Dan Cathy and CEO, when, when they hop out to a, when they get to a location, Chick-fil-A, there's this unwritten rule that they've got to go and you see them jump out of the car and they scurry. Donnie Smith actually told me the story. They all jumped out and they started screaming around the parking lot and um, they each, you know, found a piece of trash to pick up. And he's like, what is the deal? And they're like, like, when we get out of this car, the first thing we do is we try to find a piece of trash in the parking lot or something we can do and improve at our store to show our people that we're not above that and that, you know, no matter what level we're at, we're, we're, we're tied into our customer experience and make sure it's a good one. It's just like, wow, man, with people at the top are willing to do that. Again, it comes back to that example. And, and then that, that bleeds into your culture. Well, and I reminds me of the, there's a sto- story from uh, Disney of uh, this journalist who was writing a story and noticed she was asking the janitor a question. The janitor was like walking the, uh, you know, walking the park and was picking up trash. So I had to ask this person a question and came to find out later, this person was a senior executive who was like walking the park, wow. picking up garbage just to make, just to make it look better and think about, and again, talking yeah. about customer experience, is it faster for the executive to just go ahead and pick up the trash or to, whoa, 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 <laughs> this isn't my job. Let me, let me call somebody. Yep. Let me get somebody down here. Mm-hmm. Let me, you know, and so it's, there's, there's a level of non-functionality that can happen when we, when we lose sight of this concept, I think. That's exactly right. 
Great point. Talk to me real quick about, you know, when we talk about culture, and I love that you've, you've transitioned the conversation to this because, and, and I know you're passionate about this. I am too. Man, there's, there's a difference between a, a company that really values culture and the company that says they value it. And it feels, man, it feels like everybody values culture, but I'm finding that only a small number really get what that means. What's been your experience on that? The same. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people. I think, I think it's because it's one of those buzzwords and it's, it's big in leadership right now. And there's people that talk about it and um, it's, you know, that that's great. It's, it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to truly care about it and to cultivate it and want it to get better and, and to see it. And it takes a long time. That's my other experiences, you know, to change a culture, unless you're at the very top, it, it takes a long time to to change that and, and to get implemented things. And, you know, even like Donnie Smith, you know, there's a, there's a time period of getting rid of those boat people. Like it's not necessarily just going to happen overnight. Like culture takes time to build and, I think because of that, a lot of people think, okay, we're going to change the culture and they come in excited about it. But that's a, that's a, that's the long game. That's not a short game, building culture and developing it. It's a long game because success doesn't necessarily happen overnight with it. I think a lot of times they get defeated in it, but they keep the the cheerleading part of it. Oh yeah, we do that. We care about culture, but the action that takes that long-term change, it, it just falls away because it's, it's difficult. It's something that it's got to be consistent and, it's easy to, to move away from that and to fall back into old patterns and, and old ways of doing things. Uh, there's a, a great thought leadership guy named uh, Dr. Tim Elmore. He's got a, some books called Habitudes, but uh, he's also got a lot of clever sayings that are very sticky. And one of them that I heard him say one time is when it comes to culture and developing that you people, it's more important to think about what happens in the halls to look at what's on the walls and I know you and I, we've talked about this, as these companies that they come up with these values and these great statements of purpose and they, you know, they get it printed up and they put it up on the walls and it's just great. But uh, a lot of times it's just lip service and it doesn't actually make its way into the halls. And um, that's sad. You know, if, if we don't ever really take those things, uh, if we let them be decoration rather than move into implementation, there's going to be repercussions throughout the business. Yeah, there there are no diet pills for culture. You know, I, I, <laughs> That's right. I think people, it's like, oh, I bought the ping pong table. I'm good. You know, we we you know the I, pizza I think, party, right? <laughs> yeah, we we pay for the pizza party, and we're good now, yeah. right? And I, I I don't know. It's like going to the gym. I mean, you have to decide how dedicated and committed. You know, since we're talking about Chick Fil A, uh, an operator just shared with me uh, a story about how my pleasure came about and how. The way the story goes is Dan Cathy, uh, not Dan Cathy, um, Truett, maybe it was Dan Cathy. I can't remember if it was Truett or Dan. I can't remember which one. I, I guess it was Truett. One of the Cathy's. Yeah, <laughs> one of them. But so when this, when this saying was coming around, it was like the entire leadership team, all the operators, and uh, Mr. Cathy said, hey, I want, I want my pleasure to be something that is core to our stores. So a year goes by and a year later, no one is doing it. No one is saying it. And so Mr. Kathy has to come back and say, no, 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 we, this is important. We have to really make this happen and make this part of our culture. And it took three years for it to actually mm -hmm. become a staple. And I, I think sometimes when we're like, oh yeah, I want my culture to be important. I want to really do this. 
it's kind of like what you're saying. Like we get after it for a couple of months and then all the old habits come in. Yeah. You know, managers are still screaming at people. You know, it's still there's not a lot of clarity. And it's again, it's like the diet pill. It's like, I'll just, you know, I'll put this on the wall. I'll do this. I'll do that. But we don't actually always do the real work it takes to create the culture we want, um, which is too bad. Yeah, it, it's hard. Um, it is. You know, you've got, and I think the other piece of it too is a lot of times too, it's going to get an eye roll at the beginning. You know, I'm sure when he said, we're going to start saying my pleasure, people are like, oh yeah, my pleasure. Okay. Like that doesn't <laughs> sound, you know, over the top. Like there probably were some naysayers at the beginning. And, um, but it's, you've got to, I'm sure he, over time, hopefully he continued that. Like if he's going to say it's implemented, he probably started implementing that. And you know, I think it's some of those things of it, it, there's the early, it's the, it's that uh, bell curve, right? The early adopters, people, okay, you want that? We'll do it. But it takes a long time for everybody to get on board. And uh, sometimes that's an uphill battle. And, but once you get it going, you know, that's, it's, it's momentum and there's steam behind it. And I don't know if my pleasure will ever leave Chick-fil-A because it's become this thing that's just so big. And, uh, you know, I think about some really great leaders that I had that were great at developing culture and developing like, okay, here's our strategy and our mission and our vision. They talked about it. Con- I mean, there wasn't a meeting that we went to an all staff meeting where it wasn't drawn back to, Hey, this is our purpose. Like this is why we exist. And, and not like in a very, I would say like, um, like drawing attention to it. It was more subtle than that, but it was constantly like they would connect it. Like when we do this, we're able to, to build. And this is when I was with that. Hey, when we do this, we're able to grow leaders. And it was like, okay, yeah, we're, we're reminded of our purpose. And, um, you know, when they got up there, Hey, you know, in the spirit of, and they would say one of our values and they would do something that shows it. And I think it's one of those things you've got to, it's got to become part of your language. It's got to become part of something that you're constantly doing. And, when you do that over time, over time, you know, at first people might roll their eyes, but it's like, okay, yeah, this thing is not going to give up. Like, I'm not going to be able to just roll my eyes at it and get rid of it. I'm going to have to either adopt this or, or move on if I don't like the culture. And so it's it's really getting into that vein and, and following through with those um, just over time, consistently doing the, the things you say you're going to do. That's what builds the culture. Yeah, I think there's power, there's power and consistency and staying committed. And I think, I think the reason people sometimes are not even just apprehensive, but, but pretty and, and suspicious isn't the right word. I, I would just say hesitant is because everyone can relate with that company with like the big change initiative that fizzles out like a month later, right? And so mm-hmm. to actually commit to it and actually say, this is what we're going to be known as, this is what we're going to do. You know, that's, I mean, I have a client right now who they've been working on culture for something like, I don't know, 12, 18 months. And she was like, man, it feels like we're just always working on this. And I was like, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. yeah, that is what you've signed up for. It's like, you know, you can't have the beach body without going to the gym, working it out, making it happen. You know, it it just won't happen on its own. You have to decide what the culture is going to be. So it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I agree with all that. It, it's over time. And, um, I'm pulling up some notes here from a conference I went to it was actually Dr. Tim Elmore and, and growing leaders. That's their name. But, um, you know, he, he broke down some things that every culture has, and this applies to like cultures just in like the world. Like if you were to travel to Africa and visit a tribe, there's a culture there. And really the things that drive what a culture has, uh, shared values. So, hey, we as a people, we value these things. And as a company, that's true too, right? We need to have our company values. These are the things we say important. We all agree with them. That's the expectation is that we live them out. Then the next piece is shared customs. So 
operating procedures, policies, how we're going to act, how we're going to treat each other, behaviors that we're going to have. We've got to share in those customs of how we go about things. And again, we're all on board. We share that. And then the last piece is a shared language. You know, when you visit another tribe, they have their own language and everybody speaks and they know it. Same for a company. When you're here, there's got to be pieces of your language and things that are unique to you that people share. And then those things, the shared values, the shared customs, the shared languages, they just got to be consistent over time to really establish a great culture. And, you know, I've experienced that, you know, when you, when you step into a new team, you know, I made a career switch here a few years ago, like how people operate and function at this new position versus the old one is different. It's because mm. it's a different culture. And whether you think you've got a culture or not, you got one. Uh, and you're either <laughs> yep. letting it happen or you're making it happen. And you've got to choose. Do you want to just let it happen and let it be what it is? Or do you want to make it happen by being real clear about what expectations are and then being the example for those expectations? I think that's the insight is you already have a culture. It's just up to you to decide what you want it to. Is, is it is it reflecting what you really want it to be? Yep. So Absolutely. Well, Cody, we are out of time, my friend. Tell me what can listeners do to stay engaged with you, to follow you? What, what's the next step? Yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to connect, look me up. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also on uh, the Instagram and the Facebook and all those things. Uh, I think that's the two main ones. And Twitter, uh, usually trying to put out content there. Um, and then uh, me and my buddy, we're working on some stuff here. We kind of have what I would consider the the part-time gig on the side, we both have uh, full-time positions with, with organizations, but on the side, we really are passionate about helping people unleash their potential, do some coaching, uh, training, and speaking on the sides. Uh, our company is the um, Greater Potential Leadership, so you can look us up. Uh, that's also on LinkedIn and, and Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Instagram. So we'd love to connect and uh, chat about you know helping you or your people unleash their greater potential. Uh, or just learn more from you, you know, uh, take some feedback of how I did on this podcast. If you've got that, we talked about feedback, but uh, just love connecting with people and um, yeah, look me up and happy to connect. Love it. Cody, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, brother. Best luck to you and Miss Joy as y'all get ready to step into parenthood. <laughs> for the listeners, thanks for tuning into the episode. I will put a link to connect with Cody in the episode description. Also, if hey, if you're a first-time listener, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button. And if you enjoyed this episode, which you absolutely should have because Cody is the real deal. I've known him a long time. He's doing some real good stuff. Make sure you leave the episode a five-star review. That's all we got for you. We'll catch you later. I hope you enjoyed some good advice. See ya.